You're good. Wow. Cool. So you're telling me oh, this would be air horn, but it doesn't work. Okay. Never mind. Hi, Tom. Hi, Carlos. Well, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. I'm honored. This is, yeah, I'm excited. This is going to be really fun. Yeah. Um, just for the listeners, um, this is Carlos Solis. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, went to school with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, graduated in the class of 2021 at mm-hmm. Wyoming Catholic College. Mm-hmm. And then luckily I've been able to be close by with him since then, since we live in the same town. Shenanigans and all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Doing business things, activities, having fun, game nights, you know, hanging out with friends. But uh, I thought it'd be fun to bring him on the podcast, um, talk about his thesis, talk about ideas he has, just kind of get a nice conversation rolling. So welcome, Carlos. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, yeah, there was a part of me that I was wondering, when's Tom going to invite me on his podcast, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah so it's like, why, why did this weenie go, you know? So I'm glad that I finally got the chance to be that weenie, you know, to finally <laughs> present my ideas uh show you the fruits of my labor of like what how long did we study or like research for our pot for not, po- not podcast theses it was like from summer until the entire entirety of a semester so that's probably like what six months or so so of just intensive labor or if you're one of those tryhards like you're 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 already researching the end of last junior year or whatever mm-hmm. yeah so yeah so in just intense study not to derail it but what was yours about again tom um, it was how to form your identity through discipline oh. and supernatural. Okay, cool. So interesting. So you, I bet you used like um, some Stoics. Oh, Marcus Aurelius, right? Did you use him? Um, I just briefly, I think. Okay. I may have. I focused primarily on Thomas Aquinas, actually. Oh, interesting. And, uh, okay. Aquinas. And then I did a couple people like Ed Milet. I had Ed Milet in there. Oh, really? Yeah. That's just that's def- that's definitely like Tom. Yeah, yeah that's that definitely should, like Tom. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually the one that inspired the idea for me because, um, you know how he always talks about the idea of your identity is like your thermostat. Um, vaguely, I'm more accustomed to him and vibrations. <laughs> oh yeah, vibrations. That's like oh, he's going on this Oprah crap again. Sorry, 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 but vibrational frequency anyway yes uh, yeah. I, but i'm 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 familiar though with that uh, i'm somewhat familiar with that aspect of uh yeah temperature etc sorry go ahead yeah vibration. so essentially the your identity is a, like a controlled limit on your life so what you think you can get out of life is based on your identity uh, so okay it's like what do you do to expand your identity like how yeah. do you start thinking and behaving in a different way that you want to be oh interesting really really interesting idea and i thought dude oh go ahead go ahead no go ahead so then uh, I, I took it a step further and i was like well how do you make a system to achieve a changed identity mm-hmm. i thought probably the best way is discipline because discipline is consistent action towards a goal yeah yeah not dependent on certain circumstances outside of your like your decision making process oh that's neat but that's funny that you mentioned that because identity is a huge aspect uh to i mean a huge aspect of what i was studying also in my thesis we should actually uh, uh tell people uh, what on earth my thesis is about. Do you mind if I yeah, give a brief uh, overview? Thank you, Tam. Um, let's see, where to begin? So I, during my senior year and also uh, being a young man as well, oh, gosh, was how old was I, 24? I'm 27 right now, isn't that weird? I'm almost 30. 
but I was interested in many ideas that were promulgated by uh, Jordan Peterson, like any other, you know, uh, like any other young man or like uh, some young men, you know, Jordan Peterson, like, oh, you know, pick up your room and all that stuff. Uh-huh. You know, of course, that's him as a as a stereotype or as a, a caricature. But, you know, he's quite influential for young men and he's definitely uh, like a popular psychologist, motivational speaker, whatever you want to call him. Uh, but a lot of what he was saying um, resonated well with what I wanted to be, how I wanted to act. Because, you know, when you're a young man, especially being um, still young and living in this postmodern, or is it post-postmodern? I don't know anymore. But let's just say postmodern era. You know, so many things are confusing. Mm-hmm. You don't know how to act. There isn't that, like, firm tradition on which you stand upon so as to be that guiding principle. So like for the viewers right now, that's like, that's sounding a lot, kind of like a lot like Jordan Petersy, you know, speak, yeah. speak see right now. Uh, and so let me continue. See, I, I ramble a lot. So sorry guys. No, um, but I was fascinated by Jordan Peters, Jordan, excuse me, Jordan Peterson's thoughts, ideas, you know, objections, etc. that I wanted to know more about the man and to get that kind and kind of like capture uh, that bottle, uh, capture his essence or whatever he was speaking and put in my pocket and finally become, uh, you know, the man I always wanted to be, you know, um, like through my own sheer will, you know, blah, 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 you know, and like, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Jordan Peterson, but there's, there's definitely, he, there's some Nietzschean, I believe that that's how you pronounce it, Nietzschean kind of aspects to his beliefs, things like that, of like will to power, like, Ur, you know, yeah. uh, but regardless though, gosh, where was I going? Sorry, guys. Uh, oh, we have a friendo. Jake's here. Connecting. Connecting. Connected. Connected. And hello, Jake. Jake. What's up, guys? Howdy. How's it going? Good. We just a second to uh, fix my background here. I'll be right with you guys. Awesome. Perfect timing. We didn't go that far in. Yeah. I could do a quick synopsis of synopsis of what I just said and then I'll continue on. That sounds good. Yeah, don't worry, guys. It won't be that long. Yeah. No. Yeah. I didn't know I was inspired by Peterson. I thought it was other things, but that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Here, say that point when he fixes, and then we'll oh, okay. cut. Yeah, but yeah, thanks. Hi, Jake. Hi, Carlos, right? Yeah, that's right. Nice to meet you, man. Nice to meet you, too. How you doing? Good, man. Yeah, I'm doing... I'm Good day. Worked hard. Now I'm here having fun with Tom. Uh, yeah, and I'm excited. Awesome. I'm revving to go to just to talk my... Uh, just talk, 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 talk. Yeah. And just share the fruits of uh, uh, my studies. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I hear what, you're a big, uh, big psychology guy, right? Um, More of an amateur, you know, one, uh, a lover. Okay. I, you know, and uh, a, uh, what's it called? Well, what's the term? Uh, yeah. Basically an amateur in the modern sense and an amateur in the Latin sense of so like a lover of, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. yeah. Like a fan, you know, a fan. I like the theories, uh, at least certain certain theories. Uh, but um, I guess should we just pick up the podcast right now, or do you want any introductions, uh, things like that? Yeah, I think we can just roll right into it. Yeah, whatever. Right, I, I kind of cut you guys off, came in at a bad time, but uh, yeah, actually, continue you, on. However, <laughs> as you were. <laughs> thanks, Jake. Yeah. Well, 
let's see. I was just telling Tom that I'll give a brief uh, summary of what I just said. So what brought so my thesis is about modern psychology and one of my inf or the biggest influence of why I chose this uh, this topic was because of Jordan Pearson, right? Just like most young men, they want uh, they're looking for something grounding, uh, you know, something to like a compass of how to how like navigate this life. So Jordan Peterson was mine. Um, and so I then delved more into Jordan Peterson's beliefs, what on earth made him tick? Why on earth did he present certain facts, uh, thoughts, opinions, etc. And so yeah, let's move on then. So then catching up right now, as I dove in more to uh what were the underlying uh opinions and beliefs of jordan peterson i found out that uh it was actually surprising not what i was expecting like as like a, a naive you know kind of guy like oh of course uh, this will be easy to digest uh and very you know and this will definitely conform to all of my opinions and uh, uh beliefs in a wonderful way but of course that's not always the case mm -hmm. especially for psychology mm -hmm. don't ever expect that oh. to be the case you know for psychology to like the universals or like the principles of the science like reflecting you know like judeo-christian values or even like aristotelian values for that man or i'm sorry not values uh principles either mm. so where was i yes so some underpinnings of jordan peterson's beliefs were carl jung especially and that and for that matter uh nietzsche uh, and kant so a lot of people especially kant i don't i don't really like kant at all I'm a big Joseph Pieper guy. For those who don't know, uh, he wrote this famous, like his magnum opus is Leisure, the Basis of Culture. Fantastic uh, book. Absolutely love it. Everyone should read it of how to live the good life. And yeah, so these these three people were were some of the many who influenced Jordan Peterson. And so of the three, because I was interested in psychology specifically i then tackled uh, carl jung because that that was the individual that really uh how do i say this taught that was a person who really taught jordan peterson mm. he's a psychologist jordan peterson's a psychologist and so i delved into carl jung what on earth, who on earth is this guy um on the uh does does what he preach and teach can it conform to say because i'm a catholic like can it conform to what uh what i know is true uh to dogma you know i know that's it might be a dirty word for some people but you know there's a reason why dogma is dogma yeah. there's pl been plenty of fights arguments for something to be dogma you know catholic or christian, christian dogma like can this conform or not and i found out that uh the results were quite surprising i'll, I'll say this one more I'll, I'll say this one bit so that you guys can talk to ask questions banter etc but on the outside from listening to and learning about carl jung from the perspective of jordan peterson it sounds all right and dandy right like oh shadow anima animus individuation all these terms that i'll go into detail later these are these are psychological terms that I think anybody can use. They they seem quite vanilla based that anybody can use and actually uh, get something out of. Anyway, that's that's my rant of what I uh, of what brought me 
to what I studied. Sure. Just yeah. just to walk it back a tad, um, when were you first introduced to Jordan Peterson and how did uh, I guess when did when did that thought process start uh, to evolve that you might want to do your thesis uh, based upon him, upon his views? Gosh, when did that fall? Um, I would say probably a couple months after he was at, uh, where he was uh, debating people on the law that was passing in uh, Ontario. I believe it was Ontario. Like, you know, the, his very first viral video oh, of yeah. him arguing or saying like, saying you can't force me to say certain words because that negates free speech free speech is incredibly powerful that we need to have you limiting my ability to speak what i want to say and what i'm trying to process that is something that is completely against western uh values so it was after that and then and then on my feed youtube is knows you creepily well and on your feed you get more and more of uh, of like what you're of what you want and for me it was motivational you know speeches or you know be a good person and jordan peterson came up slowly and slowly and after getting a lot of what's it called what's the word um value that's it value out of peterson i started to dive in more and more and more into um what he was preaching yeah so that was what that, that was the catalyst of brought me into the Peterson, you know, uh, world. Of course, I'm not a fanatic for Peterson. Uh, we could go in more of like certain issues of his uh, later on because nobody's perfect. No one should be made out to be a god, you know, which fanboys and fangirls often do for their celebrities. We've got a weird celebrity culture in the United States. So anyway, we'll get into that later, though. But does that answer your question, Jake? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I was Sweet. just uh, just curious. I mean, I know he's a popular figure, but oh yeah, you don't, you don't hear every day about people writing theses based upon his uh, his perspective. So that's yeah, uh, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I was just telling Tom that. So we had we basically had six months of oh, there's something right there. We basically had six months of opportunity just to research research to our heart's delight. And it was just a wonderful experience. So shout out to w, uh, WCC, Wyoming Catholic College. We basically had six months to yeah, research what we wanted to know. And it was just a fun romp of studying, of studying, of studying. And also just for the fact, uh, just for uh, just for clarification, I'm no expert. Again, I'm just an amateur, I'm a, an, an amateur, you know. So take my word for salt. This is These are my opinions. Um I will defend him as best as I can, but of course I have no PhD in psychology, etc. And if I were to debate a Jungian, they could probably tear me to shreds because they are quite smart. Uh, they're very smart because if you want to be a fan of Jung, uh, a proper fan, you got to know your stuff about Jung and it's difficult. And he's a smart guy. Jung is very, very smart. Uh, oh gosh, I, I want to spill all these beans on, or I want to spill so much beans about yeah. of young, but anyway, yeah, yeah, but no, that's, that's why we, we always, we always say that's why we have this show is just to sit down and exchange ideas. So yeah. we don't, don't expect anyone to be an expert or anything like that. It's just, uh, just a place where, um, 
you know, we can bounce bounce ideas off each other and hopefully learn something new every show. Good. Yeah, good for you guys. Just learning. I like it. Yeah, humble beginnings. You guys keep it up, okay? Yeah, it's freaking awesome. Anyway, yeah, where should we go, Tom? I mean, I'm happy just to start talking basically about my thesis and I want you guys yeah. to like poke it, uh-huh. you know, and tease out certain notions. Uh, because Jung has been on my mind for like the past month because, yeah, because I've, I wish I brought up certain objections and connections, uh, with Jung, uh, that I wish I brought up in my thesis and in my oration. I wish I did it. I wish I, I wish I ruffled more feathers, so to speak, was more antagonistic, you know, uh, but I didn't. So maybe this will be a great opportunity to do so. Yeah. But but before we continue, though, about just speaking about Jung, I should also clarify that. So the goal of my thesis was to see whether or not modern psychology can be redeemed. And yeah, yeah it can be redeemed uh, because everyone knows psychology can be freaky sometimes, like uh, a psychologist telling you, oh, just have sex with as many people as you want. Really? Is that really smart? Or some or a counselor you know, a mental health counselor telling you, make sure you buy a crystal rock and make sure you, I don't know, expel your chakras. Like, really? Mm. What is that? What on earth does that have to do with anything? It's a freaking rock. Or, and I brought up in my, uh, my thesis and also my oration, a, um, during the 1960s, gosh, who was it? It was, um, it wasn't Maslow, uh, but Gosh, I wish I, I I had my laptop here, my my thesis handy. I could bring it up, but there were these famous psychologists who would go around throughout the United States and preach what they, uh, you know, they believed. And so let's see. Let me. I'll make this quick, y'all. Sorry, sorry. There it is. Carl Rogers and W. R. Uh, Colson. Yeah, Carl Rogers. Yeah. So we we studied them in OOP class. That's that's one of the classes that we studied at WCC of like behavioral psychology. He has some great stuff, Carl Rogers. But for the most part, though, Carl Rogers, during the 1960s with his partner, they would go around and, like I said, preach what they practiced. And it caused a lot of havoc, especially for, uh, what's it called? It uh, For convents, actually. Really? So for religious place, uh, for like, yeah, for, um, yeah, for convents, for monasteries, especially convents. Like, um for example, they taught the nuns that to be truly who you are, you ought not to repress certain emotions or tendencies, right? Like the the line between virtue and the acting towards virtue and your impulses, the lines were blurred for these uh, psychologists. And what happened was many of these uh, nuns became lesbians or uh, or slept around uh left the convent things like that laicized etc so a bunch of this crazy stuff that you don't expect nuns to do right yeah absolutely bonkers uh and so and i think it i mean i think it's fairly safe to say that stuff like that it continues today um and so that's that's what i want that's that's how i started my thesis of like this is the issue mm-hmm. like this extreme need for being yourself leads to some crazy conclusions, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can't help but think about uh, like G.K. Chesterton's analogy of the fence along the cliff face and children are playing. And then the revolutionary comes in, destroys the fence saying, now you're free. 
but the children are afraid. So they're not acting properly anymore because the boundaries are gone. Anyway. Oh, yeah. That, really yeah. The, yeah. It's a, yeah. I forgot where it's from. <clears throat> yeah. But regardless. And so I wanted to counterbalance one psychologist. So I, I, I thought to chose Jung as opposed to Freud because I thought Jung was more, how do you say it? Moderate than Freud with Freud. You hate, yeah, you have to hate religion, right? You have to think that everything is a sexual repression. Of course, I'm being exaggerative, but regardless, right? That's that's the that's the basic vibe of Freud, right? Repressions, totems, idols, etc. Uh, so I thought to chose Jung because he seemed more balanced and he was favorable towards religion. So to cow balance the modern psychologist, I thought to bring up St. Augustine because St. Augustine, uh, I don't know if you know about what's it called it, uh, the gentleman, um, Father Benedict Rochelle, uh, he's a prolific oh, yeah. writer. Yeah, he uh, he states that St. Augustine is like the one of the very first psychologists, especially noted from his confessions. Right. Mm -hmm. Because he delves a lot into his psyche asking, what the heck is going wrong with me here or there? Or like, I'm supposed to be super smart, but I'm now falling down into pieces, you know, things like that. So I thought to uh, balance both of them, um, like see, okay, what kind of conclusions can we come to, you know, with this extreme and this other moderate extreme? Yeah. Make it a sense. Makes a lot of sense. Cool. Yeah. So that's where I was coming from. Can I have some more water, actually? Because I am talking a lot and my throat is dry. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. Actually, is it too much trouble? Yeah. Good thing we'll just cut this out, right? No worries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've got this uh, this new AI editing software. So you just punch in a, a word or a time and it'll be oh, uh, just wiped clean. So it's actually when you listen to the finished product, it'll be pretty, pretty clean. Jeez, that is so cool. Yeah, yeah. Because oh. at first we were at first we were manually doing it when we started this about a uh -huh. year or so ago. Um, we just go through listen, or I guess Aiden, Aiden and Tom for the most part. They're the uh, uh -huh. the tech whizzes here. So yeah, they, um, they were just going through listening to the whole show, looking for places to edit and cut. But Jeez. yeah, this has really really facilitated the process having this this AI um uh -huh. AI powered powered editor here. So how much would something like that cost then? Like that, that um, you probably know better than me. I think it's free right now. Really? Is much. it? Okay. Whoa. Wow. You better torrent that or something. Steal yeah. it. <laughs> before, before some jackass, you know, puts puts a stamp on that, you know? Yeah. Uh, like exactly. money or price tag. That's the word. That's the phrase. Anyway. Um, yeah. You guys got, you guys gonna have any questions for me? Um, or I don't know, chit chat, do whatever you guys do on this podcast. I don't care. I'm just happy to be here guys. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think like I've, I've heard Peterson talk a lot about Nietzsche and Young. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I never really gotten any, well, I've, I guess I never read their stuff per se. Yeah. Just like from his perspective. So I was curious why Young was so monumental to peterson and then it sounds like you brought him up because of mm -hmm. his like 
desire to have religion as well, psychology. So I guess, I don't know if you just want to maybe talk about like what his ideas were and then how it impacted your ideas and thesis and your thesis. Yes. Uh, just to clarify, yeah. specifically Jordan Peterson's ideas or Carl Jung's thesis, or I'm sorry, Carl Jung's ideas and how it impacted my thesis. I, which one? Uh, Carl Jung's. Okay, Carl Jung. How on earth did it impact my thesis? Well, let's see where to begin. Well, like I said earlier, on the offset or on the surface, when looking into Carl Jung, you can't help but notice and say to yourself, a lot that I'm learning seems conformable to almost any belief or religion or, you know, system of uh, of value of morals or ethics. It it really does. Mm-hmm. But as I soon as I soon progressed and I saw the underlying principles and axioms of what on earth uh of what these beliefs had then i noticed that uh that they didn't conform to what i believed or were even based upon rocky ground mm. uh that's for sure so like what certain beliefs so like i said earlier uh his belief of let's see oh man i should just go back to my thesis oration so his model of the psyche let's start there so let me see if I can remember this. So his uh, Carl Jung's model of the psyche is in, uh, has layers. Like, you know how ogres have layers? Well, your brain has layers. Your mind has layers. Mm. So you have your consciousness, then you have your subconscious. So you got that from Freud, right? His, sub- his consciousness, subconsciousness, and then what you have, and then like you have your aspect of your ego, and then you have your uh, collective unconscious, which is probably Carl Jung's famous... Um, famous gift uh, to psychology and to popular opinion, you know, and, and to beliefs, you know, new age and psychology alike. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were the big, uh, the, let's, yeah, let's start from there. So from the collective unconscious, you have archetypes, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Collective unconscious. What the hell is that? It is a, without sound, not without, having to sound like a dork but with the lack of a better word it's it's a realm <laughs> it's like knights and goblins no it's it's a it's it's a place where you have it's a place where every single human being can tap into it has been created through i think uh like millennia of evolution for human beings and it's a place where, where how do I put this? Oh, goodness gracious, where universal principles reside. So that's the best way I could I could I could define an archetype, like a universal. Mm. So say for example, uh, like the the archetype of the hero, right? Or of the villain. Oh. So like like think of like kind of like literature. You know, think of that. He he's really greatly influenced literature, uh, Carl Jung. But like the hero's journey, right? The hero has these steps and throughout history, throughout time, throughout the evolution of human beings. And so these are his, these are his uh thoughts. Uh you have these things that repeat over and over again, such that they are just 
where they are just stamped in human minds. So for example, like the met, like the healer or the priest or the mm-hmm. villain or like the shadow, the anima animus, uh, or even God, right? These are all aspects of the human person. Mm-hmm. And we see proofs of the archetype through archetypal images. So like say of the evil one or the shadow, you have the snake, you have, uh, you have like Satan of the hero, you know, King Arthur, you name it, right? Uh-huh. These people. So th- this is what he believed. How he got there, I can't really say for sure. He's had a really crazy upbringing. Uh, yeah, very crazy. Uh, f- it was definitely filled with mysticism and uh, spiritualism, uh, the occult, etc. Yeah. Um, but those were the uh, things that I wanted to research. And as I continued, I found out that they were based upon Kantian principles, uh, and even uh, oftentimes he uh, he doesn't conform to the law of non uh, uh, the law of non contradiction. Oftentimes, really, yeah, he, he just doesn't. Uh, there's a really great book. I think it's called uh, Freud and Young uh, Beliefs. I have I could bring it up for for everybody. Let's see, it's, it's there. It is. Freud and and Jung on religion. I believe that was it. It's it's a summary. I believe that was it. It's a summary of of what Freud and Jung believed. Um, really great book. It's just detailed, straight to the point. Where was I, guys? I forgot to. I think I just rambled off there. I just uh, want to you know throw out a book to four people though. You're talking about his uh, his upbringing and archetypes. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. how we got to the collective consciousness. Yeah. Consciousness. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, these are the like the biggest aspects of Carl Jung's uh psychology. What you need to uh like if you want to be a Jungian, you got to follow these. You know, you got to believe these. Uh but they're filled like I said, they're uh like the cult is kind of like sprinkled into them. I know for a fact that he said that like practicing tarot cards, things like that uh, is a way for you to open up and like know more about yourself. Uh, creepy. Yeah. Yeah. It's creepy, uh, creepy stuff, but the occult Gnosticism in particular is a big aspect. Kantian principles are another huge fact uh, like Kant believes, I don't know if you remember this from metaphysics, but Kant believes that, you know, the 10 categories of Aristotle, yeah. they're not, ex- they're not external, you know? But they're all internal. They're all in oh, the that's mind. Right. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, they're all in the mind. So oh. he base uh, Kant basically throws away uh, experiences, like the Aristotelian notion that we learn from external uh, realities. Right. That's how we come to know things. I mean, he's an empiricist by heart, you know, and it makes pretty damn good sense too. But Kant he threw that away because he was absolutely crazy to have just like what's the term uh, truth or reality or like certainty that's certainty the that certainty was like, he, he was not so about that and so he said well what i am certain is that things are in my mind and i he basically like basically you project outward right uh, your certainty uh-huh. i might be messing up i'm no kantian kantian is confusing as hell hell if i know right yeah absolutely bonkers and so Jung takes that principle or he takes that notion of nothing is known externally, but everything's known here. Thus the collective unconscious archetypes, ego, you know, 
excuse me, a little bit of a burp there. Um, yes. So though I'm just giving a taste of what on earth uh, influenced Carl Jung and led him to these beliefs. And again, I have to reemphasize, this guy was incredibly smart because he he basically created an entire world uh, of just this notion. Like what it was almost comparable to like, say, Aristotle or any other philosopher where they have their principles and they run with them, mm. right? Like just like any great philosopher, you have your set of principles or think of Euclid. Yeah. Right. You have, okay, a line is this, an angle is this, distance and width. Let's see what the hell we could do with this. And you have what? How many chapters? 13 chapters of freaking Euclid of just making these beautiful things. And Jung basically did that. It's extensive and it's quite wonderful, filled with Gnosticism. It's it oftentimes is absolutely crazy to uh to try to understand, but that's it, you know. I think that's a good. Uh, I think that's a good uh, place to stop about Young. That's yeah. Before I go any crazier and people get bored, but yeah. No, no, no. That was really interesting because, especially with I think nowadays, like everyone's so used to hearing Peterson talk about Young. Uh huh. It's so good to like actually hear what Young was about, and then so now we can understand better where Peterson's drawing from. Yeah. Because I think it's really important to understand, like, you know where does everything come from in these minds so that we're understanding like what the implications are if they learn learn their teachings what it means yeah because if you don't understand their principles you may go down a very dark path yep mm -hmm. oh yeah you could be blindsided quite easily yeah, <clears throat> yeah you could be blindsided yeah um it, it's funny that you mentioned that uh tom that knowing what on earth influenced people. And I don't want to sound so redu uh, reductionist as to say like, oh, of course this person had a crazy background or life. So that's why he, uh, that's why this person's beliefs are this, like dis like disregarding their intelligence or their smarts or their work ethic. I, I, that sounds kind of like a like a straw man kind of argument or some kind of fallacy, logical fallacy of saying, oh, because they lived in a, such a shitty way they of course made this 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 uh like their their beliefs are silly of course like i can't help but think that for say uh freaking karl marx you oh, know yeah. like oh. kind of a crazy guy Very. and you can't help but think like oh like he wanted to be in hell like he literally said that i'd rather live in hell you know away from god etc so of course that must have influenced but anyway i, I digress but um if like Carl Jung had a, had a weird and wacky life. Like he, like the occult was normal for him. Like his mother, apparently uh, his mother apparently saw like spirits, uh, whether or not that was a gift or a curse, I don't know. Uh, but he was constantly surrounded by it. And of course he was incredibly smart and his relationship with Freud was very strange at oftentimes. Um, it wasn't sexual. <laughs> I mean, you would think so with Freud, but it, it uh, it wasn't sexual from what I, uh, from what I've written or read, excuse me. Uh, but Freud would try to have this weird, um, like dominating, um, relationship over Jung, like Freud was able to psychoanalyze Jung, but not the other way around. 
where he would constantly put himself in a position that was always higher. And from one book, I think it's called, I, I may be wrong. And there's this book called Degenerate Moderns. It's by this author named E. Michael Jones. Some people, I don't, just just for the record, I don't uh, hold on to a lot of what he says. Sometimes it's anti-Semitic, apparently. I don't know. Uh, but from what I have read, but that still doesn't mean that you shouldn't read, though. You know, you, you shouldn't read. Uh, but he gives he gives this, uh, his book, Degenerate Moderns, he shows the lives of many influential figures in the modern century and how that affected their thinking. For instance, Picasso, sexual, you know, like a dog. He was, he was basically a dog towards women, towards everybody, and how that reflects in his paintings. Um, and for Freud and Jung, there was a really weird relationship where Freud, though he wanted Jung to be his uh, sub, like a servant, basically a subservient to him. There are some weird times where he wanted like a daddy figure too, found in Jung. It was bizarre. It was, yeah, it was absolutely bizarre. I have to double check that, but like somebody fact check me though on that. Uh, but regardless though, yeah. So background on uh, uh, Jung, oh, but I should, okay. I've, I think I had plenty of time tearing him up a bit. But what I should do is some positives, though, uh, of Carl Jung. So, like, when you uh, you could – I honestly think that there's some aspects of Carl Jung that are compatible with with everybody. I mean, Jordan Peterson definitely does it, right? Yeah, does. Like, like, everybody knows his famous uh, – or, like, him saying, Oh, you got to face your demons. You know, you got to you gotta face the dragon. Uh-huh. And your room, pick up your damn room. Yeah. Right? So, like, he says, like, he basically says, like, face your demons, right? Jung says that if you want to be individuated, individuation is the process of becoming who you ought to be. Um, ought to be. Religion is the catalyst for it. You have to face your uh, your demons. You have to face the shadow, right? Of what of the evil that you project out onto people, like scapegoating. That's from a denial of the evil inside of you and projecting outward. That's that's how he basically classified the Nazis. Uh, like they were denying so much evil and they projected it outward, which to a sense is true. Projection is a, is a fact that we all do that. We, I mean, we demonize the left and right. It's so easy to straw men, everybody scapegoat, anybody, but it takes a true courageous person to say, no, the problem is me, which is a Peterson thing, which is a Jungian thing. Right. And, I can't help but think that's that's completely true. Like, yeah, I mean, totally. Um, But so another great point to Carl Jung, his emphasis on growing as an as an individual, like like learning from religion. Of course, he uses religion in a very broad sense. They're basically equal for him, so just keep that in mind. Um, Yeah, keep of growing as a person learning more about the archetypes, you know, experiencing things. I mean, these are both Jungian and Peterson, uh, Petersonian, like, ways of thinking, right? Of growing as a person, experiencing more, etc. Which is kind of weird, though, like, for for Jung, because he was, he was a Kantian. You know, oh. like, 
like experiencing, but perhaps he means experiencing through the mind, like what you're projecting outward or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't know. Somebody could tell me, uh, tear me apart on that. Correct me, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't think of anything else that any positives on Carl Jung, but I, I especially love the shadow, that kind of concept of not neglecting that you have that, that part of you. Um, like I find like, uh, like stage play, playing that the Macbeth or the the Iago would be such a great way to express um that kind of like that darkness because we all have that and it, it seems absolutely what's the word rejuvenating doing something like that I mean because I don't know that's why I work out I go to the gym and I punch bags and I throw as far as I can at the bags um because you just got it you can't bottle up that shit Tom you know no you know you can't especially if you know, it's eating you. Like, if there's something inside yeah. of you that you know is wrong, yep. then you have to address it. Otherwise, it starts to tear everything else apart. Yeah, or you just snap, you know? Yeah. You go crazy. You do. Mm. Yeah. But... Do you know why that yeah. is? What was that? Well, like, have you looked at all into what is going on in the mind when you're not facing the shadow? Um, Repression, anger... Some people would say basically you turn into an incel, you know, for some. Oh. Yeah, I incelibate. I forget the term, but it's basically incelibate without a choice. Uh, or like, um, yeah, like basic thinking like basement dwellers, like that. Um, I'm sorry, what was your original question? It was, uh, well, like, what happens if you, oh, if you stuff it down? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Like, what does it do to, you, do to your mind? Because that's something I've always wondered about. Like, what is there? Because there's a lot of talk about um, expression these days. Like, you have to express yourself in order for your everything to like come out, so that way it's not bottled up inside. Uh huh. But it's something I've heard many times, but I don't really understand what it means. So I'm just wondering if you had a take on that. Yeah, great question. So, Nazis, right? Carl Jung uses that example of what happens when you repress the shadow, right? And so the collective unconscious, right? So for uh, for the Germans, right, they refused to acknowledge the evil and the brooding anger that was inside them. So what did they do? Well, they found their own God. I'm speaking hyperbolically, found their own God in Hitler and blamed a specific group of people that were tangible. So the Jews, right? Oh, that's easy. It's not hell if it's my fault. You know, it's totally theirs. That's why everything's going to pot. It's it's their fault. So that's what happens. Then you get, and Peterson's big on this, like communism, like uh, like you have an angry, enraged people being oppressed, and rightly so, you know, rightly so. And they look for a, a material God, and that material God gives them the grace of a scapegoat, uh, right? Uh -huh. Like all of our sins are because of this class, the cassocks. Is the Cossacks? Yeah. So the Ukrainians, right? They, they were all killed out, millions of them. Uh, just see it throughout history. You know, uh, the the Turks and the Christians. Um, geez Louise, I I don't know where to be. Yeah, you could just go on and on and on, like denying that the evil is within you, but it's external. And but that's that sounds quite Christian, doesn't it? Too like doesn't it? Like I am the greatest sinner on earth. No one else, I am the greatest sinner, right? I can't say that about Judas, 
But I could most certainly say that about me because I am not you, Tom, right? And I have to figure out my own shit, right? And not uh, or and not blame others. Like take the the plank of wood out of your eye before you look at uh, the splinter in my brother's eye, etc. Yeah. Right. And so these like these are great conformable things that uh, like Jordan Peterson and Carl Jung um, like throw at us again. Of course, it's not new, right? But they give it a twist that it's compatible to us moderns, post postmoderns, you know, whatever that means. But yeah. So does that answer your question about projecting things like that? I yeah. Think so yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting how <clears throat> it's like, since I think we have free will, we have the duty to do use it for good. Uh -huh. And if we don't, we suffer the consequences. Yeah. And so if you aren't living your full ability to doing good you are doing evil in some way mm -hmm. which is meaning you're causing like i guess in peterson's term a chaos around you yeah and so if you are doing that then you should be the first one you can fix is yourself so you should fix yourself exactly before you go to try to help other people exactly are so, you gonna make a fucking mess you know yeah afterwards. yeah you, I, i'm sorry were you done i just have to say something that i thought it was yeah. horribly ironic when Trump was president, I believe this was in uh, not in New Orleans, it was in Portland, where protests like Antifa was raiding a federal building, and Trump had to bring in, um, uh, not paramilitary, but uh, the the National Guard oh, to yeah. free the people that were inside the building, and there was a reporter going around and interviewing all of the protesters or the uh, Antifa people, and there was just one woman looked like she was in her early thirties or like very late twenties, um, you know, wearing cutesy things Had her, of course she had a mask on things like that, you know, long nails. So of course she, she's had the pleasures of Western life, you know, as is, as is understandable and as is common for anyone living in Portland. Uh, but as there were Molotovs being thrown behind her, people, bashing through on the doors she she clearly said or she said that we are uh, we are using love to uh we're using love to fight back so that we can um make a culture and a society of love and as we're, as there were people trying to smash down uh, the doors behind her like the like it, it was so bizarre. Like the bizarre. irony. What what that's um, what's it called? So cognitive dissonance. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Just completely bonkers, and you know, yeah. That's I mean, it's it's a it's a demon that we all have to like uh, take care that we don't let like seek uh, seep into our lives. You know, a projection that it's not us, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I should probably stop. I should probably let you guys talk a bit more, ask questions. I don't know, but I could just keep on going and going. Yeah, really no, that's those are all all good points, man. Um, huh. I was curious. You mentioned earlier. You clarified that you're not a like an all out Peterson fanboy. You said you do disagree with him on some points. So I was just curious on maybe maybe where the mm -hmm. two of you uh, where your points. Or, uh, perspectives diverge a bit yeah let's see great question jake um div uh, divergence 
Let's see. Hmm. Maybe uh, I'll I'll think about it, but may, let, let's begin though on not so much. Um, yeah, I have to think about what I disagree on Jordan Peterson with. But if I were, if Jordan Peterson w was in front of me, I would love to bring up the same um, objections that I do have with Carl Jung. Uh, to him for instance are all religions the same are they jordan i don't know like are you playing christians as a pa uh, as a as a fool i i don't know uh yeah. because uh carl jung i mean of course nietzsche doesn't love christianity too you know the damned saint paul making us all soft etc uh but like Jung sees all religions as the same. So I can't help but think like, is this actually true? Do you actually believe in the collective unconscious? Like, are there actually archetypes? Like are archetypes conformable? So I guess I should say, I don't know what to disagree Peterson on because a lot of the things that he has been saying, um, I can't help but agree to. I remember, I remember an interview that he had with, I believe, Oh, who was that one guy? Um, he, he's Jewish. Um, he's on uh, Pr uh, Prager University a lot. Um, he has fireside talks. I forget his name. Nice. He, he was on Matt Frad's show talking about pornography because he said that pornography is basically like love on um, – gosh, what's his freaking name? Uh, on uh, the Genesis uh, series on uh, freaking – the Daily Wire, guys, help me out here. Do you guys oh. Prager, Prager, Dennis Prager? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Dennis Prager. Anyway, Peterson was quoted in saying that uh, of all the religions, Catholicism is the most logically sound. Really? Yeah, like it's the most logical uh, to the chagrin of uh, Dennis, which was pretty funny. But what does that mean? I don't know. Take it with a grain of salt, because. Uh, until we f uh, find out what on earth that means, because it could be logically sound, but is it true in Peterson's eyes? Right. Oh, interesting. You know, because like, think about it, like you can make a pretty cool uh, world that relies on certain axioms, but if those axioms are bunk and the next steps after those axioms are bunk, then it's just fantasy building, you know, so to speak. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I honestly don't know if I would disagree with Jordan Peterson yet. He says a lot of great things, but I don't know what's behind them. And I feel like, too, that his opinions on religion have kind of evolved, especially recently. Like, I know he yeah. was, at one point, he was atheist, right? If I remember right. Now he's kind of, I think he's unsure. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like Tom, or like you were saying, he said it's logical, but he's not really, not really positive that it's the right one. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I know. Do know I don't know if you guys heard. I know his wife is becoming Catholic uh, this Easter. So really, wow, that could uh, could further influence him too. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, good for her, man. Yeah, good for her. Um, honestly, like I, I'm surprised whenever there are Catholic converts. Honestly, uh, with the sh with the shape of the church, oh, gosh, it's, it, yeah, it, exactly. it just it just surprises me, man. It's like, really, you want to join us? Right. yeah like we've been sucking since like uh 80 uh 
AD uh, 33 after uh, Christ left, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's on your own, guys. You're like, dang it. Uh. Yeah. Not, not to be so cynical, but, you know, regardless. No, it's, yeah, it's It's true, a constantly though. a sinking ship full of, uh, full of uh, jackasses, et cetera, you know, including us, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, you, you definitely see something more powerfully than I do. So hats off, you know, to you. Yeah. I know it's it's difficult. I don't know if you That's both. Have, um, oh yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got cooties. Awesome. Thanks, Tam. It's really hard to tell people like Catholic faith is the true one. But at the yeah. same time, they're like, well, what about all the bad stuff that's happening? It's like, well, that's not right. Yeah. Don't listen to what they're saying about this and don't say what they're saying about that. But this is the true faith. Yeah. And like, I think the best, well, it's strange, but I think one of the best ways to say it is the truth is because it's the most attacked one of every religion, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, you'll have like Muslims are, you'll let, they'll, they can be anywhere because they're like a, a religion of peace or whatever mm -hmm. but they're not but because they're not the true religion no one's really that scared of them because the truth is what calls out all of the evil in a person's life and they have to confront that mm -hmm. and the catholic faith is the only one that actually addresses everything in a person's life mm -hmm. that's why it, i don't know that's just my thought uh, it's i mean i'm so ignorant of of islam so i don't know how far i could say uh whether or not they include or they have a um they have an immense view of how how to live the good life because like i i do know that there's been plenty of muslim uh philosophers that have influenced Ar no no that have been influenced by aristotle um etc you know like those Muslim though, or were those um, sure Middle Eastern? Because Muslims weren't around back then. No, no. So this is during the medieval, uh, like uh, the Renaissance, where Aristotle's works were being found or being just rediscovered. Oh. And oh, I forgot which ones that we studied uh, during uh, yeah. during um, philosophy. But I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah it's. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where to. Uh, well, I'm sorry. What was your point, Tom? Oh, my point yeah. was like, even though the Catholic faith is being attacked so much, mm -hmm. that's a, that may, I think it is a pointer that it is the true faith mm -hmm. because the good and true things are always attacked. Yeah. Because the, the devil always attacks the good things. Yeah. So, and then it's, it's the righteous person to defend what's good. Yeah. So it's like the attacker, the first like chaos maker essentially is going against the best thing. I, I I would say that a better proof because you could say that for any religion, like like think of um a sheiks or think of or I say sheik, but uh like a hin a Hindu a hin like Hindu people because they've been attacked like throughout the years. So I think a better proof would be the fact that it's a sinking ship for so long that it's still standing for some damn reason. At least that's what I rely mostly on as opposed to like, because it's been so attacked so much and we can clearly see it. Of course it's the, the 
Of course, it must be the one true faith. Anyway, that's just how I would go about it. That's a good one. Yeah. I like that. Like, why are you still standing? Like, Manichaeism are like the Manichaeans are dead. Pelagius is dead. Nestorius is dead. Arius is dead, etc. You know, they're, they're dead in the ground. Well, of course, you have some Protestants like adhering to certain uh, or plenty of heresies, but you know, yeah. Uh, they didn't make the church what it was or what it could have been. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 And even with the Protestants, you can see they've, they've split off into so many different sects, just basically from, from Martin Luther onwards. It's like a, uh, like a family tree almost. <laughs> There's so yeah. many different ones. It's hard to, hard yeah. to trace back to the actual root. So even yeah, there, I think could be a proof too that like, the yeah, it, church is the only one that still still uh, can trace its roots back all the way to back to Jesus. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the that's the that's the probably the two best things about the Orthodox Church and like the Catholic Church is that we have that lineage, and that is so powerful. And it just seems kind of crazy to me that after like all those centuries of of heresies popping up again and again and again and being squashed by the church fathers that they're now popping up uh, or that at least they did post martin luther you know it's just crazy that literally what we once defeated hundreds of years ago or like a like close to two thousand years ago um it just resurfaced, you know, it's like uh Catholicism, Catholicism light, or it's a like Pelagian light or Nestorius light, or, you know, you, you name it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely bonkers. Yeah, it really is. Um, but anyway, I wonder um, if you guys don't mind, uh, I would like to speak at least a little bit about Augustine and what I, and yeah, what I learned from him uh, when it comes to uh, uh, what's it called it when it comes to, psychology yeah is that cool is that cool y'all okay absolutely great thanks okay so i gotta give a shout out though to um a book where i got basically most of my research so in um the chapter six of augustine amongst the ancient therapists i think that is the chapter of augustine in psychology that was a fantastic read it was great absolutely great i focused not so much on the philosophical aspect of what influenced him and uh, and his beliefs on how the human psyche worked, but more of who influenced him. So you had people like Stoics, the Manichaeans inf- influenced him. Of course, he rooted out all the evils, right? Um, and of course, Christianity, uh, Hellenistic, you know, philosophies, etc. You know, these people influenced uh, Saint Augustine of how the psyche works. Let me take a sip though. Thanks. All right. Cool. Um, I forgot the author, but what the chapters though, basically distilled down, let me read it here. Cause I don't want to do it disservice. Cause it was fantastic of how St. Augustine viewed his uh, psyche, his soul, his mind. Of course, they're kind of one of the same for the ancient perspective. Like these aren't separate. They're basically the same mind and soul right like you see in cartoony versions of like oh i'm gonna suck out your soul you know this ghost thing comes out and then you're a zombie right your mind is like moving along of course that's 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 content not content that's descartes you know kind of beliefs there but it's 
one thing, right? Uh-huh. One thing. So the four are four principles that the author states of, of what influenced uh, St. Augustine were, if you want a, a proper and healthy mind, you ought to, one, conform to nature, two, uh, you have to acknowledge that there's limits to your mind. It's not, it's not a universal thing. It's not a universe inside of you. Like say, uh, well, Jung, yeah. right? Collective unconscious, just this, uh, this universe of archetypes of possibilities inside of you. There's limits to it. It's a fleshy. I mean, there's you're only human and you're imperfect, right? Uh, intellectual pursuits are necessary for you. So kind of like platonic kind of aspect where uh, to his uh, to his belief of a healthy mind, uh-huh. where like Platonists thought the more you know, the better you become, right? Yeah. Oh, I now know the true meaning of a circle. You know, I'm a better person. I'm better than the riffraff, you know, kind of like that, like an ultra nerd, you know? Yeah, <laughs> ultra nerd. That's yeah. Funny. And the fourth one is the necessity for an ultimate purpose, right? So God. Go figure, you know, as opposed to Jung, uh, he has the the necessity of ultimate purpose is for you to be who you truly are. Oh. Yeah. And of course, that's true for for Augustine, for Catholics, for Hindus, uh, Buddhists, blah, 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 for everybody becoming who you truly are. But to become who you truly are is found in God. Excuse me. And. That's right. And one big aspect I forgot to mention for Augustine is the ability to let go. Mm-hmm. So we find in, I, it wasn't Ostia that was after, but it was the fig tree moment in the confessions. Do you remember that, Tom? Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Fig tree uh, scene? Yeah. Great. So it's necessary to be well-balanced and healthy. Of course, I'm talking about psyche, soul, right? Mind blah 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 it's necessary for you to let go and know that you don't know so which is an essential aspect of christianity right as opposed to taking things uh by the throat throttling it until you will yourself to power or you achieve everything through your mind like and jung was influenced very much by nietzsche just so you know uh Augustine was more adamant of writing with God's grace as opposed to forcing things, which is what Augustine did throughout his entire life. That's why he was such a lusty bastard, right? That's why he was so uh, like nothing could stick like relationships or his pursuit of power or uh, his seeking of knowledge or him looking for, I think it was Faustus. Bishop Faustus, who was a head, who was a head of the Manichaeans, like he sought all these people, you know, but like he strangled, you know, he tried to get, you know, the truth, but uh, our hearts are restless until they rest in you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We need to rest in God, which is and like um, a little side tangent, but something that I love to meditate on is this is a chalky, so I'm I'm Eastern Catholic, right, and so it's a prayer rope around your wrist, and hesychasm is the practice of of basically resting in god right not thinking not the uh, not thinking of images but allowing god to influence you right because it's more him than us right and that's an essential aspect of eastern 
and also Western uh, spirituality, Christian spirituality. Um, I think I'll end it there, or at least I'll end it there for now. But what I want to say about Augustine is those are four, five big aspects of healthy, mindful living for Augustine, especially letting go and allowing to be influenced as opposed to strangling and getting your way. Yeah. Make it make a sense. Yeah. So you mentioned you're Eastern Catholic. Is that your family's religion or did you um, move towards that? I moved towards it actually. Yeah. I, I came out to, um, I mean, I love the West, right. Uh, but I changed when I got married, uh, last April, uh, officially, uh, because I wanted an Eastern wedding, um, beautiful church in Illinois. What's it called, Tom? It's, um, Annunciation. Thank you. Annunciation with father Tom Loyola. Uh, okay. great guy. But yeah, if any of you guys are there, check out the place, pray there. It's fantastic. Uh, so we got married there, but, uh, yeah, I came out to uh, WCC and I fell in love with the Eastern, uh, church. I always loved West served both Norris Ordo and, uh, Latin, right. You know, but the very first liturgy that I experienced here in Wyoming and Lander, I was just bawling, just, just bawling my eyes out. It was just incredibly beautiful. Right. Um, something just struck me over the head with a bat, you know, just divine grace of, you know, bam, you know, and then I just slowly just conform myself to the East. It just seemed most natural because of its tradition, uh, singing, physical nature to it all. Um, what's the word? It's a Dionysian, yes, Dionysian aspect of it all. You know, revelry. You know, something that's just lost in our stale, lame kind of uh, like living. You know, yeah, Dionysian way of living. That's what I loved. Yeah, it's like and very Eastern. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and I know how Jung would uh would classify me though. Uh, uh, he says that I found archetypal images, uh, through the liturgy, through uh the singing, this uh through religious ceremonies, and I have become a little bit closer towards my my true self by conforming to this uh aspect of Christianity, this religion. Yeah. Is there any truth in that, or? I mean, it's true that I have matured um, and I'm more of who God wants me to be. But what Jung says is it, it, it excludes grace. Yeah, it excludes um, um, grace. It's me willing myself towards who I ought to be, you know. Instead of God coming to you. Yeah. The end is confusing. Hell if I know what the what, what on earth is the end of individuation. He would say becoming who you are. Well, the hell does that mean? But for God, it's no. You're gonna be you're gonna be living in the uh, the light of the beatific vision, theosis, blah blah blah. You know. But I mean, that of course, both the... sound confusing though. <laughs> Let's be honest. Hell if I know what beatific vision is going to be like. Yeah. <laughs> is the uh, Eastern right? Is that the right where priests are allowed to get married? Yep, you got it. Okay, I remember. Yeah. It, I went through a period back in grade school where I was considering it because I was like, "Well, you get the best of both worlds. You get, to, uh, <laughs> you get yeah. the wife, and you get to be the priest. Seems yeah. seem like a good deal." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently for the East, you can't have sex on Sunday. So just so you know, because okay. you got to be pure before <laughs> you enter the temple. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. good to know. <laughs> and I've heard it, it can be rough, man. Having the pastor's kid, sometimes they go crazy. Uh, uh, okay. Gosh, yeah, it's it can be brutal. There's this one story of a priest married had to drop off his wife at the hospital, leave her there as she was giving birth because he had to run back to the church and well celebrate Good Friday Mass. It's like, really? sorry, babe. You're secondary. <laughs> bye, bye Dump. You know, off he wow. goes. Oh, it could be brutal. Yeah. And then all the, you know, like your your wife doesn't have that great of a say, you know, so marriage, married life can be tough because it's the bishop. It's some other dude, not you, who could, you know, maneuver certain yeah. things. Where are we going to live? Well, the bishop says we got to move to the middle of Alaska, you know, something like that. Mm. Okay, babe. Yeah. Anyway, that's just stories I've heard. It It can be brutal. Yeah. 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 When you think about it that way, that makes yeah. it uh maybe not seem so appealing. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. Yeah. What were we about to say, Tam? Oh, just the Lee kids. I've wondered about how it is for them. I don't know. I mean because her dad is Father Christopher Lee, right? Yep. Yep. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to ask him, hey. <laughs> how does it happen your dad is a priest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like <laughs> never mind. Yeah. 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 I don't want to ask him any of that questions. I mean, yeah. I'll leave that to them. <clears throat> yeah. It is curious though. It's like fun to think about what it would be like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, gosh, yeah. I, I'm not too sure how it would be uh, like the, like your father as a priest, like such high standards, but then like, do you act, how would you act like other parents too? Hell, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't that know. sounds like, a very mature role to play being a dad of kids and being a father of a spiritual group yeah or spiritual parish yeah exactly and yeah yeah so um how did you could you go into how you combine the union and augustine <laughs> modes of psychology to where like you like the, I guess would be like the conclusion of what your thesis was coming to, like how you redeem modern psychology. Yeah. Well, how to redeem modern psychology. Honestly, I think it is being more scientific, um, using being more empirical rather than um, being a world builder like uh, like Carl Jung. Cause that's, that's probably, that's probably the, biggest critique that most people have of Carl Jung is, is that he's just kind of wooly headed. Um, I mean, he don't get me wrong. He made a fantastic, he made an incredible world, but it's not really based on it on empirical evidence. And of course, Jungians would say, well, the very fact that you can't disprove it must mean that it must be true or you can't disprove it at all. But if you're not, but the problem with such an argument as that is it's like talking to a plant, you know, like what like Aristotle says, right? Like if you can't argue with somebody about basic facts, then you're basically talking to a plant, you know? Yeah. Um, so how did I how did I come to a conclusion? Well, th- don't get me wrong. Like I think psychology counselors are uh are essential for our our modern era um and most counselors that i have been in contact with 
And from what I've researched, they are sound people who use tactics that, well, have been well-documented. A, a great book, uh, it's called The Body Keeps the Score. Phenomenal reading. Phenomenal reading of how on earth PTSD works in uh, in the human body. So it's not only a mental issue, but it's also a physical issue when you experience trauma. And the the uh, it's anyway, it, it's a fantastic read, incredibly scientific. It has uh, it has um, what's it called um, uh, so not subnotes, but um, yeah, but let's just use that word subnotes to other works. Phenomenal read of of like how psychology works like how the brain actually melts away almost or or like changes when you um, when you counter certain uh problems issues you know dangerous you know activities etc and carl jung's not like that but let's go back to your question though before i ramble on a little bit more uh which was how did you combine augustinian and jungian to the truth i really didn't i basically carved out young into a husk <laughs> uh -huh. like okay on surface level these are pretty great right a lot of these things can be compatible and they're basically another way to say what a lot of other people have been saying for quite some time like individuation but you got to cut out snip this out carve out that you know that snail shell you know inside uh -huh. and then you get you know a structure that can be used everywhere like mm -hmm. for other uh that has other uh, axioms principles etc that's may, is that the lazy way out i don't think so uh i researched them a lot but you know but regardless though somebody could tell me otherwise that that's not the way to do it uh maybe there's other aspects of jungian uh, psychology that i could have kept more in flesh intact but um that's that's the that's the best i could make it you know because a lot of his principles are problematic like i mentioned and augustine's is not as fleshed out as say a lot of modern uh psychological uh theories and hypotheses but they are still a grounded on principles that are true and also are uh, general enough. I mean, who can deny that? You know, you have to conform to nature if you want to. Uh, if you want to have a healthy mind, you know, you have to realize that you have limits. That you have to let go of certain things, right? Intellectual pursuits are great. The necessity for an ultimate purpose. Blah 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 blah. Right. So it's, yeah. I, I guess I concluded that Augustine had a great starting points. But it wasn't as well progressed, you know. I mean, he was a theologian for Pete's sake and a philosopher for Pete's sake, and he was a he was a a, a bishop for Pete's sake primarily. Yeah, yeah. Um, and psychology to him was just an aspect of philosophy, right? Mm. And Carl Jung, even though he went balls to the wall with all these ideas, there it's it's grounded so strangely on Kantian principles, etc. You know gnosticism occult yeah did i even answer your question <laughs> i think so i think good yeah like, i think so okay i'll take that 
I think I'm still processing that. I know all that, huh? Yeah. Like, because Young seemed like he was able to make something good with a lot of bad starts. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, I, he says a lot of cool things. Yeah. A lot of things that, uh, that Jordan Peterson runs with. Yeah. So then, like, Augustine seemed like he had a lot of really good things that he wasn't able to go as far with. Yeah. So it's almost like if you bring the two together, if you were, like, to restructure, like you were saying, you take a lot of stuff that Young has out, restructure it a bit, have it work together with the main mm-hmm. goals of St. Augustine, you may have a very good, at least maybe basic understanding of human psychology. Yeah. Be very helpful. You, you know, I mean, why not? I, I don't see why not, honestly, but probably that's probably the case. Yeah. I, I can't say definitively. I've only, um, I've only concluded in my thesis that that's probably the case. Okay. Yeah, that's probably the case. And I, I bet, you know, I'd bet 50 bucks on that. Yeah. That That's definitely the case there. Yeah, Tam. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I want, you know, I want to ask you guys a question. Sure. Um, do you think most modern, like what aspects of modern psychology is bunk? Or do you think that a lot of mental health thing, what, yeah, what mental health things are bunk? Is it all bunk? Is any of it helpful? Uh, because I could, I could possibly be talking to an, uh, an audience of two here that thinks that, well, psychology is basically bunk and you just got to be mean and grit and you know and just take life by the horns honestly like what do you guys think yeah let's have a conversation here i'll let you go first jake and then we'll do my well you bring you bring up mental health i know that gets uh gets thrown out a lot in today's world yeah it does doesn't it i feel like a lot of times maybe a little bit excessively like some people almost use it uh-huh. As an excuse maybe that might be a little bit a little bit of a harsh way to to describe it but i think it could possibly be overused a bit mm-hmm. like what kind of examples of overuse do you see that kind of you just can't help but like ugh, ick at so know? i see it actually in my job like well if people call off work um really for no other reason other than they say it's their mental health and in today's day and age no one can really mm-hmm. no one can push back on that because otherwise you'll be i mean i've seen it where people are liable to be uh, have lawsuits against them just on on those grounds so wow. um it's a uh, yeah i think it's a tough it's it's so prevalent now um yeah. and everybody hard to disprove not, isn't not it? everybody but a lot a lot of people i think are are overusing that uh-huh. kind of play it playing it to their advantage a bit and then i think sometimes you'll see it too in the news like like someone commits a i don't know like a mass murder or a, or a grave crime and that's you know they might have actual psychological issues going on but still i think it's odd that that's a lot of time the first thing that people jump to where they're almost almost defending it you know yeah, I I don't know how to distinguish something like that because you have to be positively crazy to want to kill innocent people, right? Just for your own gain of feeling powerful. Sure. And like at a point, I can't help but think of, or I can't help agree, like, yeah, this guy has some issues. What kind of issues? I don't know. We have to delve into them. But at the same time, of then, how on earth do we punish somebody then? Because everything can be reduced to neuroses. Oh, his mom beat him. Of course he did this. That's why he stole, you know, $2,000 from that one lady. 
you know so please let him go like i because like i can't yeah, like I, I don't know that balance yeah, at all that's you that's kind of why i brought it up because i struggle with that too where to draw the line like do i just yeah. am i just being judgmental if that one person calls off work and we end up having i end up having to take their project you know instead am i just being like maybe yeah. they really did need that day maybe they actually were gonna you know to for an extreme example maybe they would have committed suicide had they come in and <laughs> that that would have been the last straw that project would have broke the camel's back you know yeah. so but it's yeah it's like where do you where do you draw the line i i don't know like i know for a fact that if i were to steal two thousand dollars yeah i i ought to be punished for it so, but where does mercy come in i i don't know um gosh like maybe like have you ever seen the the shakespearean play or shakespeare's play of uh measure for measure ever heard of it no i don't think so actually it, it's one of my favorites uh we actually had a play uh of it it was fantastic uh here okay. at the school andrew but, russell was in it jake he was the main star yeah yeah, yeah. he did such oh, a great okay. job holy crap he, he was did. hysterical <laughs> oh it, it was Boy, great I'm but sure he did <laughs> the point though i want to bring up is um you have the evil villain he does wicked things the king is uh is an observant to the what people are doing he knows everything that's going on so of course it's it's an allegory of Christ and the sinner, right? And people and like others who have been wronged by uh, by the villain or who have done wrong um, and ought to be punished. Everybody is uh, like either an advocate or a victim or the perpetrator. And at the very end, Shakespeare uh, just he promotes mercy. He absolutely promotes mercy but of course though uh you see that people's hearts uh have changed in some substantial way they they get the feeling and taste of what happens if mercy wasn't even bestowed for example there there's a character who commits adultery impregnates impregnates this uh this woman the child is about to be born but the king though um he gives like this uh, he gives the ruse that ruse that he uh, that this guy was actually killed of course the villain wants this guy killed because he has this extreme vision of justice even though he's guilty of adultery himself so huge hypocrisy there um and so the king wants everybody to know what on earth it would taste like or feel like if there were just exact justice 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 it would just be pain but of course the king though turns everything on its head like once you taste those the bitter fruit of uh like the bitter and just fruit of justice um mercy is all the more sweet and the same also happens to the villain sorry spoilers but i have to say it though like like obviously shakespeare's message is of course i'm simplifying it is if you like justice can only be served with mercy obviously but mercy can only be distributed or it seems that he's saying mercy can only be distributed once you re, re you recognize how powerful justice is and whether or not you want mercy and uh and you crave it and you cry for it 
I, I hope lawyers, judges conform to that nowadays, as opposed to just poo-pooing everything off of it's someone else's fault. It's society's fault. Of course, there's some grounds to something like that. Of course, we're all victims of something to an extent. Of course, black people to some extent are victims of some other people generations ago. Of course, but that gets messy, you know? Anyway, yeah. Well, that, I think that you're into something there because um, I think what you and Jake are really hitting at is that so essentially there's been wrong done to every person, right? Uh-huh. And there's a lot of people that are still good that have had worse things done to them than the people that commit crimes. Mm-hmm. So if you say to the person that committed a crime that, oh, it was their background that caused them this, so they're not at fault, then that gives license to every good person that they could also be bad now too. Because mm-hmm. if the bad person isn't punished for what they did, yeah, then the good person doesn't have as much of a motivation to stay good, even though they had bad stuff in the past. But that is from an individual who is not truly virtuous, though where they need the stick to push them on. Am I understanding you correctly? Yeah. Okay. Well, well, yeah, but I think it's like the the good person, because they're good, they won't necessarily, they're not looking at like what's the legal ramifications for being bad. But if you drop the standard lower and lower, the people are more, they will probably fall into the habit of being less careful and being good because they know that the legal ramifications aren't as bad. So it's not really a reminder for a higher good that they should be good oh i i see your point yeah because yeah civil law conforms to uh eternal law i i see your point yeah. there but of, of course i want to push back and say yeah you know maybe they just weren't that good in the first place you know maybe they were just fearful of the stick yeah. you know mm-hmm. anyway but i yeah. think like maybe a good way to do it is like on good behavior then the person is shown mercy because like let's say um they commit this crime let's say they get five years in prison uh-huh. but if they show good behavior in the prison then they can knock that time down yeah. because there's a change of heart yeah so maybe that's how they feel the sting of justice because it's like boom this is what happens but if you actually have a change of heart mercy will be given to you because you're changing your ways i don't yeah. know yeah but that's, no, no, I, I think that's a very good point. Yeah, I mean, that's what they do in the criminal uh, justice system. Uh-huh. Yeah, like you're released earlier uh, because of good actions. Yeah, because you're conforming to, uh, yeah, to society mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, wickedness. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Oh, okay, so what about you, Tom, then? Or do you think most psychology is as bunk? Like, would you recommend to anybody to go to uh, a counselor if they were feeling distraught over a long period of time? Honestly, let, let me know. I, I've been wondering about this a long time, actually, mm-hmm. because I personally liked the idea of having close connections that you trust to help you through things first. Mm-hmm. So like if you have a good, like your mother, mom, mom and dad, I think are like your main two because they've been through experience. So they're supposed to be able to help you through your life. Yeah. They see the different sides of humanity. And so they're able to bring you through things. I think then when you're, 
past that point, then you have like your, let's say if you're married your spouse, and then you have your friend groups, your close friends, and if they can't help you see through what's going on, then I think you should go to a counselor. So it's more like a law of subsidiarity. So you go oh, interesting. people like that are most closest to you to see if they can help. And if they can't, you go out broader. Yeah. Um, the reason I say that is because I wonder if this is just an outside side mm -hmm. perspective that when you give a person the ability to complain about what's happening to them, to someone else, that maybe they are going to let their problems become an escape code on the counselor where they will mm -hmm. say, okay, because I can give my problems to this person, it's now their responsibility to help fix me. So I think, but that's a very subtle distinction because I think the person with the right intention would be like, I want to fix myself. How do I do that? And I think that's the right place for a counselor. Oh, okay. Okay. I see the distinction now. Yeah. So what I think I see is like, um, you know how like if you are given a task and you have the ability for someone to help you, you'll probably go to them first and ask them to help you before you go and figure it yourself. Mm -hmm. I think if you have too much access to a counselor, you'll automatically go to them before you try to figure out yourself. So in a way, you're not using your own ability to see what you can do to make your life better. So then you're mm. um, not taking as much responsibility on yourself as you could that may bring a lot better things in the future because you're actually doing the steps you can now. That's my take. I'm still thinking about it a lot. So I'm interested what you think of that. I don't think any of that's wrong. Honestly, I, I want to disagree because it sounds a lot more fun doing so. Mm -hmm. But... The, with any good thing there are extremes and a person's hmm, and a person's convictions can spoil that i mean yeah can spoil any good thing of course it doesn't uh like eating a piece of candy is good but doing so glutton uh, gluttonously of course that ruins the experience it doesn't ruin the candy but it, it ruins you doing the thing or having the thing you know so i think i think those are all great pitfalls that one must avoid like you go to a counselor ultimately to be fixed or at least get to a better spot you know i think that's yeah um but of course like you don't want to talk to mom and dad about uh certain things i know i don't want to talk to my oh, parents yeah, about some sure. things yeah you know uh and there's just some things that I won't even tell, uh, talk to my wife about uh, if I'm being honest, because they're not my, uh, because they're, they're a partner. They're not an emotional dumping ground for yeah. something that just horrible popped in my head. Right. Um, because everybody has those intrusive thoughts. Everybody has those, those wicked thoughts that you can't get out of your head or, uh, or that you even harbor as well. And of course it's not the, it's not the purpose for, your wife or even your family members to fix that. Of course, maybe to a certain extent you tell them about it. Like, hey, these are coming. I need some help. Or these things are coming up. I need some help. Okay, let's get you to the right person. Because, oh my gosh, like well, which which um job has the most suicide rate? 
I, I think it's actually funny enough. I think it's dentists or something like that. Dentists? But yeah, dentists, uh, dentists, dentists lawyers, doctors, doctors, I think, are the two. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know if doctors incorporate. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're running a business. I think that's, uh, that's a part and it's just stressful, um, you know, and I, I don't know the entire bit. practice. Yep. Malpractice. Malpractice oh. liability too. Lord yeah. have mercy. Yeah. Um, there's also uh, farmers. That's another one, but I don't know if doctors encompasses psychologists and psychiatrists. I don't know, but like the amount of, uh, amount of horrible things that, that is placed before the feet of counselors, uh, and psychiatrists and psychologists, excuse me, um, is, it can be overwhelming oh my gosh like oh yeah i murdered somebody or i did this horrible thing blah 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 blah. you know and i have to go through that at least some of them have to go through that every day um that's a terrible terrible burden but and yet they still do it you know they they're they are that scapegoat so to speak you know they're kind of like a christ figure um at least the good ones you know (laughs) yeah i have a lot of respect for them yeah yeah, I, I'm sorry. Do you mind if we pause? I have to use the restroom. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a bunch. Ooh. So, yeah. yeah, those are really good thoughts. I'm, I appreciate you sharing so much. Like, as it's interesting for me, like, trying to understand myself through all these different things. Like, mm-hmm. if you listen to Jordan Peterson, I think it's, uh, how do you describe it? It's kind of like if you watch one show out of a TV show, so you get like you feel like a full storyline, but it's fragmented based on the whole arc of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. It's really neat to like have someone like you who's dived into like a much broader scope of what's going on. Yeah, and then pull out what you think is true, and then interact and connect that with what we're viewing now through just Peterson. So then we have a better idea of like where it came from, what it's doing, what are all the implications. Yep. And I think it's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd say so too, Tom. It's um it's like there's there's plenty of a weird kind of dumb crap out there that you gotta avoid. That's kind of new agey. I mean, a lot of what Jung is promoting is new agey. I mean, he is he's like a foundation for a lot of new age people of like um of occult people of like, Oh, reading the moon signs, you know, doing this and that to know yourself better, you know, witches, like literally witches, occult, blah, blah, blah. Um, and some of it's good, you know, some of it's just harmless, you know? Um, and then there's some things that I can't help, but I don't know whether or not they're bad or not, or they're just silly, you know, they're just kind of pointless. Like for example, of like visualizing your, uh, your story, like I think, I think it's good to have goals. Any idiot can tell you that, and my Peterson puts it very well and much more succinctly than people like Oprah. And I know you will disagree with me with uh, with me on this, but even Ed Milet. Um, actually, I don't know. I don't. Anyway, yeah, but like people like Ed Milet or like uh, Oprah, like it's important to have goals. It's important to visualize that goals, but I can't help how silly it is to think though, just by thinking about your goals, 
you will get there. I don't know if Oprah and Ed Milet say that, uh, but I know that there. Uh, but I do know that there are people who have, especially yeah. at the beginning of like uh, the turn of the century. I forget mm-hmm. like certain. There's a really good YouTube video on like the these people who have such a huge emphasis of the power of the mind, you know, to achieve your reality. Um, like there's a balance there. There's definitely a balance. You can't be a weenie not doing anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not trying, not trying to visualize certain goals. Uh, but at the same time, you can't be a weenie though. And think how I think is how I'm going to get there when you have to do actions, mm-hmm. oh, man, there's a, this is somewhat tangential, but I still want to bring it up. Yeah. Um, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis where he states that modern man is so proud of the fact that he is not like the medieval man who uh, – and the medieval men were like reckless. They were obsessed with, uh, with honor, uh, with achieving everything that they could possibly achieve for country, for God, for themselves, for their family, for their banner, etc. Um, and that when they did things like that, uh, oftentimes they have done so, of course, I'm paraphrasing, they have done so uh, through evil means. Mm. And modern man is proud of the fact that, uh, proud of the fact and, and says to himself, see, I'm not uh, absurd and crazy like those medievalists. But how much the opposite is true, though, of the medievalists looking at modern man and thinking, you are all lumps on uh, a or lumps and bumps on a log, right? So it's like courage, like taken in like different extremes, seen uh, seen in the eyes of like of the medievalist and the modernist. You know. Anyway, just a neat little point to pull out there. You know. Yeah, it's very interesting because there's like, especially in school, and we're studying the uh, turn of the century. Yeah. When everything was just like destroy all that was before like all tradition and start yep. over yep and it was interesting how it turned into like world war one and world war two where they just wanted everything gone yeah utopia yeah like, um almost Rousseau like tendencies where they just wanted everything to be primitive uh-huh. go back yeah. to their wildest tendencies and everything where they didn't know how to really channel that i don't know what you call Thumos? Thumos, maybe. Yeah. Spiritedness. Yeah. Like yeah. at least the medievals were putting it into something. Yeah. I mean, I think Nietzsche yeah. kind of limits that too. Uh like like uh like the tearing down of so many ba- of so many walls. Like everybody knows the quote, uh, God is dead and we have killed him. But everybody forgets about the next quote of and we cannot wash I, I'm par- I don't know what exactly, but and we cannot, and there's not enough water to wash away the blood. Oh. So it is uh, Nietzsche laments that fact that those structures are dead. Yeah. Right. And makes sense. I mean, what comes after is World War One, where everybody goes crazy and thinks that we ought to destroy all systems of hierarchy and establish new ones. Right. Maybe that's true in some extents. Don't know. Yeah. You know, I'm open to conversation of that, but to do so blindly um, and to just follow Woodrow Wilson, you know, to saying we have now created a utopia, that's asinine. It is. Emphasis on the word ass, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Though. Yeah. Like, 
Um, it's essentially like, I guess it kind of comes down to what psychology is with, well, Peterson talks about, he says, when you're, you're growing up, you're new to the world. You don't know what's going on. Yeah. Figure out what's going on. And you said you're given two options. You can either conform to what's there or you can change it. So he said, there have been people that try to change the whole world drastically. Yeah. And some have done it for the good and some have done it for the bad. Yeah. So like change probably like like good saints change it for the better. They saw that well, God wants our world to be like this. Yeah. He wants he essentially God first. And the saints are like, Okay, I will do that. And then the chaotic ones are like, Well, we'll fix all the problems without God. Kind of like the Grand Inquisitor. Uh-huh. He's kind of like huh. the, the archetype for like the bad world change, you know? Uh-huh. And so it's interesting how like yeah, like the the bad change is like they want to destroy everything and they want to be God because they want yep. to create this new world in their image. Yep. Or like the Christians, the followers of Christ, God told us what his vision is. And they're like, okay, we'll, we will follow that and we will do our best to make that happen. And that's where you get the prosperity of life. So one is death, one is life. Uh-huh. And yeah, like when you look into it, it's all very, I feel like it's like the anger. At, it's like, I think it starts from like, when you see the world as bad. You can either have righteous anger or destructive anger. Righteous anger is like your anger at what it is like now, and you choose to try to make it better. Mm-hmm. And then there's, I guess, I don't know what you call it, wrong, wrong anger, where it's like you see everything wrong, but you want to destroy it all. Yeah, anarchy. Yeah. 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 So it's like, I guess it's love and hate, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. I think it comes back to your uh, your talk about like like Augustine and Young. I would say like Young's trying to say, "Well, fix yourself." Yep, 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 exactly. And then Augustine is saying, "No, see what God wants you to be." Yeah, and and um, of course, Augustine. I doubt Augustine would. He's not a um. It's the word Pelagian. I know Pelagius. He's a heretic, and he said that the human soul didn't suffer from the fall. And so you, we could win ourselves heaven. Oh yeah. But Augustine, of course there's this push and pull of seeking and being transformed. I, I doubt he would go so far as to say it's just either or, but a, a mixture of it all, you know, you got to walk the walk and talk the talk, you know? Yeah. 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 Hmm. Maybe that's the narrow road. What's that? Like, because let's say you're on this road and God is trying to pull you towards him and uh-huh. the devil is trying to pull you towards him. And you have to walk the straight and narrow because there's so many things that could take you off the path. Like, if you think, like, oh, I'm going to be the best follower of Christ and you become a heretic, you try to follow one thing, what God says too far, yeah. you may deviate or if you follow what the devil says oh it's your point yeah so it's like the straight and narrow is like having that um conscious reflective mind and life where you're trying to distinguish what's going on 
as you're making steps forward. Yeah, I don't know. Just, I, I kind of like that. Like it, like sainthood can be boring. It can be, or at least I shouldn't say boring, but it's, uh, it can be monotonous or menial. That's the better word. Menial. Oh yeah. Menial. Mm-hmm. Like of not going into extremes. Like should I stuff myself full of cake? That's an extreme. No, just have a slice, damn it. You know, mm-hmm. but continue on that just simple journey. At least for some people, that is their, uh, that is their fate. Yeah, that is their fate. Yeah, because like, if you try to say like, you know, let's say if you took one passage out of the Bible, God says turn your cheek. Uh huh. If you always turn your cheek to someone, you you'll be gone. Like you have to say no to some people and say stand your ground. Uh huh. Because in the Catholic faith, we're not a pacifist nation or a pacifist religion or a loving, peaceful religion. But if you do attack us to the point where you're going to inflict great harm on us, we will fight back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's like there is a boundary there. But I feel like if you you try to take one piece of what God is telling you too far, it'll lead you away from him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's absolutely great. Yeah. Yeah. Or just some people, though, they have to take their entire lives into extreme, like St. Francis. The guy was a nutball, but yeah. he had to do it. <laughs> he did, yeah. Yeah. He just had to. Yeah. And hold on, pause. Thanks. Anyway, yeah, this was absolutely fun. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for just yeah. giving me outlet just to talk and talk and talk because i've never had that opportunity other than the thesis and oration just to talk so much um it's cathartic this is all just also very cathartic uh-huh so yeah well that, yeah yeah we appreciate it man cool yeah i want to say i was talking to jake and aiden about this maybe i was just thinking of it but like how you know like there's so rare occasion when you can set a block of time like this long uh-huh and just talk about stuff yeah like there's no distractions there's no things getting in the way and you can just chat about what you wanted to chat about most mm-hmm. and I don't, yeah it is cathartic like and it's fun to like bring people on and just talk with them about stuff especially things that they're that interested in um yep kind of see what they're thinking and yeah sure. people are interesting people are weird you know, yeah. it's it's kind of fun sometimes to see what's in between their ears. Yeah. But anyway, thanks, guys, again, for giving me an outlet. I'm so glad I, I uh, got to uh, go on this podcast. Share, uh, Please share me a link to it because I want to yeah. check it out. Just send it to other nerds, you know. Of course. Yeah. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll so, definitely have yeah. to have you on. Yeah. And... Yeah. Maybe we could talk about business stuff, you know, as like a young entrepreneur, at least me as a, you and I, and I'm pretty sure you too, Jake, are all entrepreneurs. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about that struggles, ups and downs, like, oh, like the kind of like how the meat is made behind the scenes, as opposed to some mm-hmm. TikTok bro, just throwing wads of cash where most likely his, his dad and his, um, his mom set up a uh, trust fund so he could get his 30 K so he can invest yep. in a company, you know, <laughs> Anyway, yeah. Exactly. You guys do whatever you want. You know, I had a blast. Thanks a bunch, guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did too. And yeah, we'll be down to have you on again, talk some business. So anytime, man. Awesome. Thanks, y'all. Yeah. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah. And for the listeners, um, thank you again for tuning in this week. Um, 
hope you found it as enjoyable and informative and I, I learned so much from tonight and I really appreciate Carlos being on here and I'll do my best to say Aiden's line, but um, be good fight for what you believe in. And most importantly, be a good American. God bless. Mm.